ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Diantine is here. That's right, we are still talking Friday the 13th Part 8. Jason takes Manhattan slash Vancouver on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from the glorious alleyways of New York City, the biggest of the apples. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. So we will be unpacking all the gory details of Friday the 13th Part 8 in the hopes that a Lakeview High graduate's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense and as always there is only one person I trust to train me to become the ultimate undead serial killer fighter the one and only Gina Radcliffe how are you doing Gina I'm good did you uh, receive the package I sent you with the uh, the matching tracksuit yes I'm all set I plan on running along the beach here in Southern California Uh, hopefully with somebody on my side so we can cheer and we can wear very tiny shorts and then hop into the the surf and celebrate together an accomplishment that only they know about. I, I'm just gonna be the one that like rides their bicycle, like like punch out, just yelling at you while you're while you're <laughs> jogging down the uh, down the street. So you're gonna go for the sort of Charles uh, McCullough uh, school of teaching somebody how to do something. Just yell at me, fight, fight harder, punch <laughs> more. Exactly. That's how you teach people things. At least if you listen to this movie. And I hate to. Uh, hate to tell you this gina but we are not alone that's right we have a special guest she is a producer and host on now this nerd the finest video hub of all things genre and geek the one and only kaya quinn how are you doing kaya i'm good how are you i'm excellent well the world's falling apart and i feel like i'm hitting a a reconstituted raisin with bones and with a giant mask on and it's just exhausting the hell out of me i don't know about you (laughs) yeah no i'm just i don't know i I think it's always good for me to just rewatch a bunch of horror movies to distract myself from everything in life and this happens to be one of my favorite ones to watch because some of the deaths are absolutely ridiculous (laughs) uh that is very true it is kind of crazy in parts it's kind of boring in others it's super weird jason breathes very heavily throughout it and is very squishy (laughs) Um, There's a lot of fun things and a lot of weird things about it. But a little while ago, uh, approaching Halloween, uh, you guys at at, at Now This um, had a series of how to kill. And you went through a lot of different uh, horror movie villain icons. And the very first one that came up uh, for me was Jason Voorhees. And I'm like, oh, you obviously have a love for this franchise, I have to, I just put it out into the universe, that universe being Twitter. I said, <laughs> I have to have this person on the podcast to talk about this crazy movie. So, Kaya, what was your first introduction to the Friday the 13th franchise? Well, my first introduction to Jason in general and basically every horror movie was my mom. Um, when I was a kid, I actually couldn't watch any horror movies because I was terrified and I used to sleep in the same bed as my mom because I was always terrified of everything. And I'm like eight years old. And as soon as she thought I was asleep, she'd watch a bunch of horror movies. <laughs> and <laughs> so it was mostly just me under the covers, feigning to be asleep, half watching like this guy in a hockey mask run around killing people. And it was terrifying for me, but now I love it. So. 
I was a very uh, scared child. The legendary, if it were, story about me is that I was scared of the Pink Panther theme. (laughs) Which is very jazzy, but it's also meant to evoke a man sneaking into your fucking house. Oh yeah, home invasion. So um, everything scared me, and I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies, so I came at everything uh, through Fangoria. That's how I intellectually approached uh, horror movies. But... I can, I, I'm right there. Like every, the world scared the living hell out of me. No, I remember, uh, I, I still can't listen to the Jeepers Creepers um, song because it freaks me out, even though it's just a jaunty little tune. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, and then there's everything attached to Jeepers Creepers. Um, <laughs> let's not uh, go down that road. So, um, do you have a favorite of the Friday the 13th series? Um, I'm a sucker for the original just because I like being the person in the room who's just like, actually, Jason wasn't the murderer in the first movie. It was his mom. And it's just like such a funny twist to me that it's just a mom running around. And then I watched it for the first time properly um, as an appreciation in probably my first year of college. And I'm waiting for it to be Jason. And it's not. And then you have like the last image of him like jumping out the water it was just ridiculous and hilarious for me i know i totally get it um we really have a lot of respect for the original as odd as it is in parts but we love the oddities of it i mean that's why we're doing the podcast because while we absolutely love this series there's there's some weirdness going on that's for certain and mrs Voorhees is incredible she wears a great sweater and she has amazing forearm strength <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's got that she's got that farm one that farm wife strength going on damn skippy well you know when you're you're stirring up that shit on a shingle or that oatmeal for everyone in the camp i guess you just build it up over time <laughs> um so let's get right into it who's what, still what, left what, al- what is left of it <laughs> <laughs> who is still left alive at this point in the movie let's do a quick body count of our main cast we have rennie uh and she's you know a girl who gets to experience the rest of this movie high off her ass on heroin and i've never been more jealous of anyone in my entire life then we have sean her boyfriend who it took me up until this point to notice is wearing green pants <laughs> I don't think I don't think I I don't think I've caught that, but I will now. Oh, I will not notice anything else with the color of pants for the the remaining twenty five minutes or so of this movie. Well, almost all Friday the Thirteenth costuming choices are odd. Of course, we have Charles, a man who made fake news a way of life before it destroyed all of ours, and. With the exception of the the unfortunate victims, that's all that we have in terms of our main cast still left alive. Uh, Previously, Julius, Julius. Well, we're talking about Julius. Oh, okay. So Julius is on uh, on deck to die. So we're we're going to discuss Julius in detail, primarily because he is the best character in the movie. Julius is, he's the, he he is a, an anomaly in a great many ways, but one of the best is he doesn't catch Friday the 13th disease. When he's in trouble, runs. When he sees a phone, he calls the police. <laughs> when he sees a weapon, he picks it up and does not drop it. So are you basically saying that he, that Julius behaves like a, a logical human being would, would, would behave when faced with danger? Yes. I, yes. Instead and of, instead of just, you know, you know, leaning up against a wall and sobbing and slowly slumping to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like the, the, the couple on the boat early in this movie or any other 
uh, victim of the Friday the 13th series when confronted with an undead serial killer that he doesn't just melt into the background and and wish upon a star that it would all be over or just lie on his back like a turtle who's been turned over on its shell. <laughs> He's the ultimate rarity. He's a man of action. He should be the leader. Everyone yeah, should be yeah. listening to Julius. Yeah, I mean, I want to say that, that Julius deserves to make it to the end of the movie. And yet Julius also, you know, he, he rightfully gets the best, most memorable death in the in the whole movie. Quite possibly, I would say up there the whole series. I mean, certainly <laughs> this is the only thing that anybody really remembers, I think, of, of Part 8, other than the fact that, that very little of it is actually spent in Manhattan is oh right that's that's the one where the guy gets his head clean punched off his body yeah I think Julius's death is probably my in my top five it's that one and it's Mark in the wheelchair who were my two that I yes, always remember yes that's my favorite too <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see I knew you two would get along <laughs> But like, I don't know, sometimes Julius doesn't seem the smartest to me because his plan in the beginning was just to take a bunch of weapons and go on the offensive and then also split up. And I'm like, for me, I would want all the weapons on the ship in one area that's being protected and is safe, not to individually as teenagers go after a mass murderer. Yeah, but they also don't necessarily know who is doing it because I don't know that Julius automatically buys that it's the undead corpse of Jason Voorhees running around killing people. The the Occam's razor of this is that it's the crazy Ralph Maritime Edition guy mm-hmm. who's most likely, and I think any one of those teenagers could take on that, that guy and that guy's mop. <laughs> With the exception of Charles, who gets stabbed in the arm. And looks mildly put out over it. Yeah. <laughs> Just, ah, <It's>, again? <laughs> He suffers no consequences for that stabbing. It's never brought up again. He's he's never felled by it. It, it does not come back into play. It's just something that occurs. It's just but a scratch. <laughs> That's very true. So, yeah, I, I, up until this point, you know, that we rejoin the action, Friday the 13th Part 8 has basically been diehard on a boat. And then the our survivors make landfall at a wharf, or as Charles calls it, the worst place ever to dock a boat. You know, <laughs> at the place where people dock boats. Well, he thought you should have been able to steer the boat right into the middle of Times Square. It only makes sense. If you could just... <laughs> pull up to the Pussycat Theater or whatever the fuck or, else was in Times Square at the yeah, time. Yeah, I don't think they had a Planet Hollywood there yet. <laughs> I mean, wasn't there always a Planet Hollywood there deep down? <laughs> Is that kind of a uh, you've always been the caretaker kind of thing? There's always been a yes, Planet Hollywood it, here. Yes, we've always lived in the castle. There's always been a Planet Hollywood in 42nd Street. <laughs> It just had naked ladies in it. Instead of a statue of Sylvester Stallone frozen in a block of ice with his nuts out. When it, whenever I can slip, slice Stallone's nutsack into anything. <laughs> boy, howdy. I can't resist. Yeah, we kind of return to action for our section of the movie. Just having seen Jason, in quotes, rescue Rennie? In the sense that she happened to be around when he could kill two other people. And yeah, like, so, what, what, what happened? Like, what are we... He, he smashes a guy's face into the pipe, uh-huh. and then it cuts away to to Julius. But what happened? Did he just walk away and let her escape? Because when next we see Rennie, she's just kind of staggering around and, and, you know, and looking at things with that drug cam effect where everything's really wavy and all. And, I mean, Patrick... 
I'm kind of a square. Have you have you used controlled substances? Not heroin. I don't assume you've ever used heroin, <laughs> but but you know, have you have you used any controlled substances? And if so, do you actually get that kind of wavy line effect when you're looking at things? I think this movie proves that for this particular Canadian director, he's never touched any altered substance, or he has no concept of how to translate it to the filmic realm because every i mean let's put this up against any sort of depiction of heroin let's choose one out of the atmosphere oh train spotting (laughs) this doesn't feel anything even akin to that they don't even put the effort into it it's the most it's like if someone on the set of quincy said we need to do one section where the victim feels yeah, uh, kind of hazy because they they took they took drug. They, they don't even like say they, they what had a, drug they had it a, is. They had a marijuana cigarette. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I was I was definitely going to say that it very much reminded me of some sort of like after school special effect where yeah she goes to a party and somebody slips something in her drink and i actually made real life air quotes with that they, you know, we don't know what it is it's it you know she's hopped up on the goofballs or something and and she kind of staggers home after the party and everything's just sort of wavy and at a dutch angle and people talk to her and their voice 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 echoes 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 yeah and she just kind of looks at them like she just woke up and that is definitely the effect she they they have achieved here and it seems to wear off surprisingly quickly. Uh, it doesn't last, which is unfortunate because I think most of the movie would benefit from more drug haze. <laughs> if this became if this became more of a Cheech and Chong like exploration of the night, um, or, or know, just so- like like you know, why, I wanted to look at Jason and Jason's head like turns into like a chicken, or like <laughs> you you mentioned like a Cheech and Chong movie, like just a giant smoking joint or something like that, and she just looks really puzzled and and you know make make it into something funny. I mean, they are trying to go for some weird comedy bits in this last twenty minutes or so, and so why not just take it one step further? <laughs> I feel like. I would love the movie a lot more if it just had like Jason with a chicken head in the middle of it. That sounds like a great sequence for me. <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst idea, and this fi- this movie is full of the worst ideas possible. I mean, this movie makes that Angel Dust after school special with Helen Hunt yes. look like crank. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it is so fucking square. It's unbelievable. So... This film is is terrible at delivering drug imagery. Uh, Not that, I don't know that anyone was necessarily tuning in to find it here, but it's just not its strong suit. Let's talk about Julius in particular. I like Julius as a character. He's a man of action. He, he wears a, he wears, thing, a, a he wears a sporty tracksuit throughout the entire movie, which which is great. He looks like a a bit like a patriot from Marvel comics. <laughs> yeah, he does. Um, I just like that they they really wanted to emphasize that this is a jock, so he's just always in a tracksuit when he's unless he's like in a boxing match. Yeah, he he's always throwing air punches. Just just that that kind of guy who's always always on. I'm surprised they didn't show him boarding the ship with like a case of muscle milk under his arm. <laughs> He's an undefeated high school boxer. Now, I grew up here in L.A., and I can't say that we had any high school boxing matches. Certainly no. not sanctioned. Yeah, I was going to say in the hallways, maybe, but yeah. not actually, like, arranged for, you know, like, where you earn, like, a title for it. That seems a little dangerous. 
a lot of um, unwarranted headshots. It just doesn't seem like something that happens in reality. And I think the only reason it does is they want to make him a formidable, uh, ideally, opponent for Jason. But it's also just like a teenager who likes to box against like this 40-year-old undead monster man. It didn't really seem fair from the get-go, but I found it really funny, just the contrast between the two, and, like, they actually gave him a, like, he was gonna have a shot at this, and, like, this is not, okay. Well, as as soon as, like, his first shot, and then every shot thereafter kept catching him in the mask, I was like, oh, this isn't gonna work out for him. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, I, there is, he, he does have some of his jaw exposed, and I couldn't quite figure out i mean i'm not a strong woman i've thrown a punch once in my life and it did not go too well um (laughs) and it's but i do know you definitely don't connect to anything like a mask like you you try to hit something that isn't covered in hard plastic yeah he would have done much better punching jason in the throat than in a mask i mean i counted here i i did due (laughs) diligence julius connects with Jason's head 27 times. He also connects with him with about 20 plus body blows. Although when he starts to get tired, he starts to hit his chest. There's a there's a story being told in this <laughs> sequence. Unlike, you know, the sequence in the disco where the story is, why is there so much popcorn? Why are there <laughs> why is there booze on this high school trip to New York? <laughs> What is this fucking guitar song and who would listen to it or dance to it? But the the foley that's going on in this particular fight is really weird. It, the sound the body blows make are really gross. It, it sounds like he's punching a body bag full of jello pudding. <laughs> yeah, again, very squishy. I, I, keep, I keep coming back to the word squishy to, to describe many of the effects in this and yeah that that's a perfect description it's just something very wet and very mushy that he is repeatedly punching this is the moistest of all (laughs) the friday the 13th i hate that word (laughs) but it's accurate it's accurate though (laughs) yeah he is punching like a very squishy wet jason so i guess the that's one time where the squishy sounds make sense to me i mean, I, I just felt like his fist should have just like just gone through him at one point just like a <laughs> like a, you know, a bag of wet leaves that's what is jason comprised of <laughs> i just, mean just, just mildew and worms i think at this point it's lake silt but <laughs> with the ability to move like how are his muscles working why does he need to breathe i, I think can't did i compare him? i think i did compare him to oogie boogie before he's he's basically oogie boogie just just a sack barely held together of of insects and rot oh my god <laughs> probably some fish in there oh exactly. definitely some fish <laughs> It would have been funny if he like punched him and like a tiny fish had came out or something. It just like just flops out, the, <laughs> just flops out on the ground. Jason's feet just kind of just you you squirms a little bit and then dies. Just every time he punches him, goldfish fly out of him like he's a carnival game. Or or just or just like you know, a license plate at some point. Just, just you know an old an old an old you know tire a boot, an old boot from the bottom of the lake. <laughs> He's basically that shark that isn't Jaws that they catch in Jaws. (laughs) They don't want to find that little Kintner boy rolling out onto the dock. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
I mean, throughout this movie earlier, we there's so much slime that they've put him in that he that the performer is playing Jason slips and slides at various <laughs> points in the movie. He, he just all of it is dripping down to his shoes, and he can't get his footing. Uh, it's just it's like Jesus Christ, what's happening in my body? <laughs> I mean, Jason is going through changes. <laughs> he doesn't understand them. He's little, every person goes through. He's a little frightened, but understands that this is a thing he has to learn to deal with. I mean, th- there was definitely a, a certain consistency to him in part six. We we knew that he rose from the grave, but there was still a lot of zombie flesh going on. And part seven, it got a little wiggy because he had been in under the water. But he came up and at a certain point kind of dried off. He was mostly like bones held together by a, a rotted uh, workman's suit. And then this is just this pile of slime that your kid makes in second grade with laundry detergent <laughs> and inconsistent eyeballs. <laughs> um before we even get to Julius's fight, though, we do get to revisit an ideal location from the opening of this movie, and that is the phone booth that says Gang's Rule on it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it doesn't work. No, gangs do not rule. No. We don't get to see a lot of gang rule on display in this movie, both before this or after it. Certainly, those junkies are not a great example. The gangs of gang. are very. The gangs are very small. They only seem to consist of maybe two or three people at a time, which isn't really a gang so much as a small group. Yeah. This, it, yes, it's like me in high school. There, me and two people who were like, "All right, we'll hang out with you and have lunch." That's the enthusiasm <laughs> of these gangs. I mean, yeah. the warriors could tear through these motherfuckers in like five seconds. These are not cool gangs. I mean, I'm pretty sure the gangs from West Side Story probably end up being cooler <laughs> and tougher than these gangs. <laughs> Those gangs have a code, and they have jazz hands, and they are very agile. And we get to see one of our favorite things that Jason does, which is break a window. Uh, Jason hates to be able to see through things, possibly because his mask restricts his vision. Uh, but the way uh, Kane Hodder breaks this imp- this window in particular is he punches the bottom left-hand corner... And it seems to require more effort than he gives because there's a little bit of like, oh, ow. <laughs> At the end of it, he reacts like, that didn't go well. Ow. <laughs> like he hit his funny bone or something. Ouch. Ah. <laughs> it almost it, like he seems tired at this point. Like he seems I mean, tired he, throughout the whole movie. I mean, but he's teleporting. He barely has to move, and yet he just he lumbers everywhere, and he's always breathing hard. He did just walk along the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. I'll give him that. Somehow, somehow, <laughs> we, we don't put chalk it up to every other. Uh, possible solution to this movie why does every time we see ghost child jason he's a different kid who looks a different way including at one point in the bathroom looking like the kid from the fucking grudge out of nowhere (laughs) 
Like we, someone should have decided: Does Jason have hair, or does Jason not have hair? And what does the hair look like? And they're like, "We'll decide on the day." So yeah, Jason hates windows. Uh, do you think Jason's fetish for breaking through windows is stronger than his newfound fetish for killing people on a boat? Or does that old one win out? Oh, the think? old one wins out. It, it's much more convenient. I mean, you know, how, how many opportunities? I mean, we see windows every day. How, how often do you have the opportunity to just get on a boat and just kill someone? Yeah, I think that Jason has a tried and true method. He likes, like, a window is a nice distraction and how to spice things up. But really, when it comes down to it, when he wants to get things done, it's always nice to kill people on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's He's really being pushed and pulled because there's not as many windows on a boat. But, you know, smashing through a door or window, you know, doesn't feel the same as killing someone on a boat. Man, no wonder he's tired. I'm tired just thinking about it. So Julius does the smart thing, right? He flees. Now, he does pull that one, you know, bit of, of, of scream uh, critique that does play out. Instead of running away towards an escape, he runs up towards a place that has no escape. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. It, it's yeah, I, obviously the answer is because the plot you know, required him to do this. But I just nobody in these movies, and I know this is a stunning observation that no one has ever made before. <laughs> nobody in these movies does anything that an actual human being would do. No, they they only do the things that a script requires them to do. And they're only as smart or stupid as the script. Hence me having to school fools on Twitter this week about part two and how Jenny is like the smartest person in any of the Friday the 13th because the film demonstrates that she's smart so that the point in the movie which she does something that's like an educated guess, it's a good bet. Because they've set you up for like, oh, she's smarter than everyone else. She's certainly smarter than her dumb fuck boyfriend, who's basically a sex idiot who doesn't wear underwear. I get it. I get it. But come on, he's a sex idiot. And then, you know, when she makes a a play like, yeah, I'm going to put on this corpse juice laden sweater and pretend to be mom. Like, that's a, a huge, huge bet. But she's set up so that you're like, maybe she has an insight here. And then it plays out that way. Julius is just, we've been told he's a boxer and he's actually going to put up a fight. So in a way, that's why he comes off better. Because once he gets up on this rooftop with the majestic downtown look at Vancouver in the background, (laughs) decidedly non-New York view of New York. He at least gets in, you know, 20 plus plus body blows uh, that do almost nothing to stop Jason. Although he does kind of stagger a little bit. There's a bit of rope-a-dope happening here. Uh, In cinematic terms, Jason is pulling a Rocky Balboa. Like he's leading with his face in the hopes of of wearing somebody down. Yeah, I don't think that that registers on on Jason. (laughs) He's a sort of, I I do kind of like how Jason's reaction is. It's, it's, you know, sort of like, yeah, all right. Yeah, okay, sure. This is is funny. And, you know, and then like, finally, he's just like, you done yet? (laughs) It's like, it's like watching someone, you know, watch a child who's having a tantrum. You know, you, you just let them do their little flailing at you and, and you know, you wait to let them rest for a second. And it's like, you get that all out of your system? You know, <laughs> I mean, 
I just like how he just like stands there throughout the entire thing and he's like, This is cute. You're trying. That's nice. This is this is different. Let's see how this goes. And he's just like, cool. And then I I love how polite Julius is and he's like, Okay, you can have a hit now. (laughs) (laughs) Which why would you let him do that? I was like, why would you do that? You do not have to be sportsmanlike here. <laughs> it really doesn't. There's no point to this, like, all right, I'm not even going to put up a defense. Yeah. Why? You can't be that tired that you're like, all right, if you're going to kill me. <laughs> it just, it's just a violation of the character. Like, you've made me root for him up until this point. That seems like a stupid move. Uh, he's rewarded for it by having his head punched clean <laughs> off. And when I say clean... I mean, there is a clear delineation of where his head tears away from the rest of his neck. And we see that in very vivid red as it tumbles off the top of this building and into a trash bin. Yeah, and you could, and you could just turn the movie off at this point because this really is the high point of it. Oh, I, I, I beg to differ because I feel we're going to cover a section of this. That is even more ludicrous than this. This is definitely the best kill. Far and away, it's the best kill. But I think in in terms of sheer insanity, we're about to meet its Oh, match. yes, 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 yes. When, when, when Jason's uh, ability to predict the future is, is put to a remarkable test. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, he does possess some uh, previous to this psychic uh, adjacent powers because he knows people's fuck style and uses it against them. No, I think he literally looked into the future somehow. He he tore a, a rip in the time-space continuum and saw what was going to happen and when this police car was going to show up and exactly how much time it would be required to find the exact dumpster that Julius's head landed in. Remove it from the dumpster and put it on the gear shift? <laughs> in, the, in the in the car yeah, what is it placed on like I, I, for i assume it's too high for the gear shift though i thought it might be on top of the shotgun because that's generally where cops put shotguns. oh yeah 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 maybe i only know this from from cop shows i haven't seen the back of a police car since high school so uh, i couldn't tell <laughs> I you say, i haven't seen the back of a police car since last tuesday <laughs> 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 things have may have changed since then but before we get to that police car um we 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 see Rennie wandering around in her drug haze, uh, touching her face. White rabbit uh, playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's she has not like the movie has not touched a drug. Nevertheless, the several drugs that it would require for her to have this reaction, and then Sean appears. And Sean has a interesting reaction. First of all, Sean looks like the little brother in snow clothes in a Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much volume in what he's wearing, he can't even put his his arms down. And secondly, his first line upon finding Rennie is, what did they do to you? Motherfucker, how about, are you okay? <laughs> like... What did they like? Let's get into details later. <laughs> Are you okay? Are like, you good? Are you on drugs? Is everything yeah. okay? Blink once if you need help. Exactly. Are you are you bleeding? Are is all of the parts still attached to you? Are you okay? 
Uh, it is a slight improvement in empathy from Rick from part three, who spends the most of his time with an assault victim making hourly requirements for fucking. <laughs> <laughs> so there's. Are you, are you over that yet? <laughs> <laughs> I think we should fuck in the morning and then also have a dedicated fucking time at night. What do you mean you were assaulted? Oh, my God, Rick. Jesus Christ. Do you the remember solution, Rick? Rick? Rick, the solution to your problem is in my pants. <laughs> you got everything you need right here. Just, he here, could fuck let, away any problem. He really could. Let, let me comfort you. <laughs> With my penis. <laughs> That was Rick's solution to everything. Like, why did you call me if you didn't want my penis involved? Sometimes you just want a friend, asshole. It's like you can't invite him anywhere without his penis being invited. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, is the, that is the third wheel on all of their tables and everything. I mean, I'd invite Rick to the party, but you know he's just going to bring his penis. <laughs> Uh, oh man so yeah sean's a a slight step up from that but there's also this very he's not attached emotionally to anything that's happening here because when he finds rennie his reaction equates to when i finally found star anise in the spice aisle (laughs) oh there it is yeah, he's, he's, it's it's remarkable. This this actor, and I, I not looked up if he's done anything else. His his acting actually gets worse as the movie goes on, and, and he he seems to forget his. And I'm not saying he his character does any sort of weird like like hard left turn in his motivations. He just he seems to be. I feel like either the actor decided to try to do something. With the role in which maybe he's trying to project that he is, you know, kind of losing it out of you know, fear and not knowing what's going on, but he just seems confused most of the time, and and he just seems like he's not really sure how he should react to his, his girlfriend. Are they are they dating? I mean, you don't generally give cheap necklaces to girls the, who the, you're not going out. With. The girl that he 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 feels yeah, the girl he feels feelings for. You you definitely you generally don't act like when you find her after you, you you're certain she's been dragged away to her doom and horrendously assaulted and possibly killed with you know mild surprise and annoyed what did they do to you? You know, I mean, he just he just feels like he's trying on different you know ways to play this character and never actually made a decision on it before the filming began. Yeah. yeah, I didn't really notice him in the beginning of the movie because he was just like there was a lot of characters introduced and he didn't really stick with me. I'm like, OK, Captain Sun, sure. And then all of a sudden he just started getting very aggressive and talking back and then the acting started getting progressively worse. And I'm like, I like Sean now. He's just <laughs> trying so hard to make himself stand out and it's going horribly. And, and and now that he's in the city, he's just like like wow. I, everybody in you know, from the minute they arrive in the city, they all act like they've like crash landed on Mars. <laughs> they're they're they're. I mean, I realize they're scared of Jason, but just wandering around, they're wandering around wide eyed and and you know frightened and confused, like they have no idea where they are. You're in a city. You're in a city in the United States, uh, it, you know, about probably about fifty miles away from where you where you normally live, and they're just like strangers in a strange land. And it's just and it's just such a weird, you know, off putting way of handling that. I know that we have weird Junes here in Los Angeles. We we have like this thing where summer doesn't really start until the end of July. But is it common for June 
in New York City to be layering to this degree weather. No. Where, no. I mean, Sean is basically <laughs> putting on the full Steve Bannon here. He's got one blue t-shirt, then a green t-shirt, then a sweater, then his members-only jacket on underneath. No, you should be, they should, they should all be panting like Jason and just sweat should be pouring off of them. <laughs> they should all be as wet as Jason is. Yes. With their own everybody, everybody <laughs> should be, everybody should be squishing when they walk. I mean, certainly in my time on the East Coast, it did rain quite a bit in the summer, but this people are not suffering from rain exposure here. They're freezing to death. We see everyone's breath, including a walking corpse. That's how cold it is. Well, this has been this has been a, a repeated thing in these movies where it ostensibly takes place in the summertime. But everybody's talking about how cold they are, and everybody's wearing multiple layers, and a lot of scenes you can see their breath, and it's just, it would be interesting to see how, you know, when these movies were filmed, and why they were filmed then. I I assume because they're coming out at a a summer release, that was when most of them were, they were usually, oh fuck, it's August, we need a movie, (laughs) that was when they were slated, that they're generally filmed in you know, December, January, February of that year, because you didn't have a bunch of composite shots to put together for this stuff. It, it was basically everything was in camera for the most part. Uh, so they had a quick turnaround. But uh, yeah, I mean, to for example, Colleen is like a human being trapped inside a mobile sweater cocoon. <laughs> I mean... All, she has that uh, one character from Dilbert's hair and then a, a giant sweater, and she's freezing the entire time. And then she runs into Sean and Rennie and Rennie's fucking dipshit of an Uncle Charles. <laughs> and the first thing they say is, "You." Rennie says that Jason's here, and Charles is like, Fuck! Don't bring that asshole into this. Don't embarrass me in front of this clearly Canadian cop. That is the most Canadian cop I've ever seen captured on film. Yeah, he should have just walked in the screen with like a Tim Hortons cup in his hand or something. <laughs> I mean, outside of wearing all denim and just having a beer outside of shot, he's very Canadian. It's like, oh, it's a tall tale indeed you got there, but I'm bound to believe you. <laughs> I might have gone into our town. My apologies to the Canadians. <laughs> I'm not good with accents. It's just not my bag. But he is sincerely Canadian. He's about as Canadian as it gets. I just love it when they always film in Canada and like obviously people film in Canada all the time and try to disguise it as other places and then you spend most of the movie trying to spot the Canadian things that just make it not where it is <laughs> from the Canadian actors to the Vancouver skyline and it's just ridiculous. Of all the people to give, you know, you need somebody who's going to convey either the prototypical Irish accent because, you know, this movie exists in the 1940s. <laughs> or someone who can do a legitimate or at least passable New York accent. This guy isn't even trying. It's terrible. And the, well, the only thing he really tries at is not shooting Colleen dead, which he almost <laughs> does. <laughs> also, I'm a, little, I'm a little puzzled at the fact that one cop shows up 
I mean, most even back then when there was budget shortages in the pre-Giuliani New York City, you generally traveled, you know, in pairs. Cops are fucking gnats. You, anyone there, there's <laughs> one, there's like a dozen. All standing around. Uh, we love... Uh, fuck this. I'm not even going to pretend. Fuck the police. <laughs> oh, shit. Hashtag political. <laughs> kill by kill, take it a hard left yeah, turn. Gonna- I was going to say both sides there. Fuck that noise. <laughs> I live in L.A. Fuck that shit. Yeah, it's that, li- that liberal horror movie fan uh, <laughs> content you uh, you come to love. That's right. Uh, every day I lose two people on Twitter. It's great. <laughs> I suck at Twitter. So then, of course, once they get into the car, we get to see... One of our most delightful sort of tropes in the Friday the 13th series, Jason Voorhees, interior slash exterior decorator. (laughs) He leaves a corpse where everyone can find it. He's fished Julius's head out of that dumpster and propped it up somewhere, somehow, for everyone to find. Let's review again how he would have had to do this. Just the the Swiss watch timing (laughs) required from this corpse of a mentally impaired child who has been <laughs> murdered several times who has who has you know after growing up and apparently just surviving off of you know raccoons and old boots in the woods he would have to have known a where julius's head landed mm-hmm. b that they would call the police that they would what alley they would come down what time the police would arrive that the per- that the police would come by himself, that they the the policeman would stand in the exact place where Jason could reach out and drag him away, and how exactly how long it would take for him to be able to put Julius's head in the police car, which would evidently be left open and accessible for anybody to drive away with, even though this is you know apparently some sort of post-apocalyptic hellscape, New York City, the same New York City that Chud takes place in. <laughs> <laughs> this just takes such an incredible amount of foresight and timing on his part that it is you, all you can do is laugh. I mean, for one thing, I mean, just a, you know, surprise is a severed head here. That's always a funny thing to me, no, no matter what. That is always a shot that that is hilarious to me, and it's been done a couple times in the past few movies. You've got the the head in the potted plant in in part seven. That's right. always hilarious. You've got mm-hmm. the 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 sculpy head in part six. That's hilarious. <laughs> or was that part seven too? I think that was part seven too. There were two yeah. severed heads in that. That's always a funny shot to me. But but the way that this is done and what it would have required is just like that is a probably one of the biggest oh come on moments in this entire series. I love that all four of them are in the backseat and they react like, ah, oh, god damn it. <laughs> it's like, really? Ah, oh, we'd, we'd finally done it. <laughs> Jinkies, kids. There's a hat. <laughs> I'm just like... <laughs> um, and the cop reacts uh, by grabbing the radio and asking for backup a day late, a dollar fucking short. Jason snatches him uh, like Dracula or the Phantom <laughs> of the Opera. Yeah, he and does just kind of swoop on in there. Like, <laughs> I, I, would, I would have loved They might as well just gone one step further and just had the cop like just screaming like, ah, ah, <laughs> <he's getting> <laughs> <dragged> <laughs> away. <laughs> and the cop pulls the cord out of the radio, which... Conveniently. 
<laughs> conveniently, but in the end, it doesn't matter. I'll tell you why in a few seconds. Let's let's go through the progression of what happens next. Everyone else starts pawing at the door that they're <laughs> next to, in, but it's the back of a police car. It's locked. Rennie climbs into the front seat because there's no spit uh, partition there. And she gets into that seat and immediately Jason has gone from the shadows where he mysteriously killed the policeman to right in front of them. We get another bamf. She puts it into drive and um, she makes Jason pull a full on TJ Hooker over the hood of that police car. (laughs) She rounds a corner doing 45 and a 10. And then we get to see version 7B of oh, Jason God. shivering in his trunks and or underwear. Shivering and flailing <laughs> and just, what is it? What are they doing with this character? I don't know. The, the makeup has evolved again. This time he looks like Frank Langella's Skeletor from Masters of the Yeah, oh yeah, his face is like melting or some shit. I don't know what's going on, but... Jason's uh, having a really tough day. Yeah, <laughs> really he's, he's, he's not looking as best. It's getting worse as the day goes along, and he's just getting more increasingly upset about it. <laughs> uh, Rennie tries to run over the hallucination, because why not? Uh, don't drive on skag, kids. <laughs> <laughs> and slams the police car into a retaining wall. And sadly, this does not kill ghost Jason. Um, it also doesn't bring Frank Langella into this movie, which uh, the move this movie desperately needs to make. Yeah, uh, no, that's like two Frank Langella, you know, salutes there. There's the, you know, Skeletor and then there's Jason playing Dracula for a minute. Exactly. <laughs> it's like an open love letter to Frank Langella. <laughs> and I'm here for it. God damn it. <clears throat> Uh, Sean manages to pull Rennie out of the wreckage. Uh, Charles just ambles out on his own. This is significant because we see that Sean is again doing all the rescuing, whereas Charles just doesn't even take a single second to consider that Colleen is still in that car (laughs) before it blows the fuck up. Because of course it does. Why not? I think this is payback for leaving those four students in the restaurant that was that Sean declared destroyed earlier in the movie. Well, that, that's um, fine. That's fine though, because everybody reacts to seeing her, you know, kill before their very eyes with about the same amount of emotion and passion as she reacts to to the news that the restaurant <laughs> has been destroyed. Just to kind of, oh, I guess that's oh. sad. You know, unfortunate. <laughs> and then immediately, immediately forgotten and, and you know not mentioned by anyone ever again. <laughs> I'm also just like, uh, why didn't she just get out the car? I don't understand why she stayed in there. I would have been clamoring over Charles to get out. I just picture her sitting there with her hand out, <laughs> waiting for Charles to drag her away. And just, well, fuck you too. And then like, explosion. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she would slightly uh, stunned from the impact of the car. And all she would need is a, a little bit of help to exit the car. But <laughs> it's Charles, so she's fucking dead. I I, just, I really would have loved like a like a lost clip of like her holding her hand out waiting for him to drag her away and he just looks at her just kind of like uh uh-uh. uh and like just her hand like turns like she like, just gives the finger and then boom you know? <laughs> <laughs> that'd be good for the director's cut of the movie yes <laughs> just the final flip off <laughs> so fuck you, in the, in fuck the- you Charles you're the worst. <laughs> 
I'll see you in hell. <laughs> Fuck you, Charles. <laughs> Boom. Explosion. Um, the other beautiful part of that uh, car crash is that when Rennie looks at Ghost Jason, it slows down into the stagger shot that's straight out of Lethal Weapon. Uh, when they have that fight in the middle of the, the, the front yard, and it goes bleep, 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 bleep. And it's supposed to convey how time is slowing down, but it just looks like a shitty editor's trick. <laughs> just, I just remember what Steve you're talking about. <laughs> That is like a bleep, bleep, bleep. <laughs> Jason also has weird teeth in that version of him. Why couldn't they just decide... On a ghost Jason. Yeah, it's like they, they, they went like, when you watch like stuff like uh, you know, Star Wars movies, you see like how they do different character designs until they finally settle on one. They just went on all, they just went with all of them. Like yeah. there's somebody, somebody like held up a notebook with some like stick drawings of, you know, well, here's some different versions of, uh, of, you know, child, you know, deformed ghost Jason. And they're like, I love them all. Let's, I just couldn't possibly pick one. <laughs> Bring them all to set. Or the other thing is, is that they kept hiring special effects makeup guys and they would come to set and they would have a Jason and go, oh my God, that looks terrible. Well, after we film this, we're going to fire this guy and we're going to bring on somebody else. And then they bring on the next guy who has a completely different ghost Jason makeup. (laughs) Like, well, that's worse than the last one. Well, let's bring in this other guy. My cousin knows how to do this. And they just keep hiring (laughs) different people. Um, but here, this explosion is where I think we reach the insanity nadir of this movie. This is the most, we've had three deaths here in the matter of just mere minutes. We've barely covered any time of this movie. So we have to discuss while we are all together, the flame puddle flashback of Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight, which is Jason which, which is hand. probably the the other than the other than the ending is the least not is the is the most I should say nonsensical moment of this entire movie, because yeah. all I can say is what happened here, I, I do <laughs> I do not understand because what would have to happen, it does it, there there is no possible way that anybody can say well here's an explanation of how it could make sense no it does not make sense in in <laughs> any way shape or form whatsoever unless rennie is a time lord that that's the <laughs> that's the only way that any of this could make sense i mean she's dressed like one why not um it's just secretly like a backdoor pilot for some kind of doctor who special <laughs> it's like no one told anyone if this came on on bbc america on christmas day i'd be like yeah okay yeah, I mean, it's a different take, but I'll, yeah, sure, I'm on board. <laughs> um, this all starts with a composite shot of a puddle that's on fire. I Yet you're not hearing me wrong. It's literally a puddle of fire. That <laughs> not, a la- not, not a lake of fire, just merely no, no. a puddle of fire. A puddle of fire that composite shots into Crystal Lake. Uh, this is where we get to see... The best outfit anyone has ever worn to teach a child to swim 
a blue cable knit sweater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, what... you, yeah, he has no intention. I mean, generally speaking, I don't know if any of you, if either of you ever tried to teach a child how to swim. Um, I have. It, it's challenging. I, I will yes. say that. Um, but you do generally need to get in the water with them. <laughs> that 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 you know, especially if they are afraid of the water. That's usually results in the most successful you you way of teaching a small child how to swim. Yeah, uh, this is this is a terrible way of teaching a child to swim. The only other time I've ever heard of being tossed out of a rowboat to learn how to swim was my dad telling the story of how he learned to swim. He's Canadian. I'm beginning to think this is how all Canadians learn how to swim. Is this the second time I've slandered all Canadians on this particular edition? Maybe. <laughs> it's, I mean, it seems very important to Charles that she learn how to swim. To, to the point that, that he is willing to psychologically traumatize her. And he does. He does. Yeah. And, and it's like, are you trying to, do you want to raise an Olympic, you, an Olympic swimming champion? Why is this so important to you? I mean, swimming is not necessarily a life skill that is vital for a person to have. Should you know how to swim? It wouldn't hurt. But, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, you know it, you can get through life without having to know how to swim. But he's just um, like he's he's got just murder in his eyes. You know, if, if she doesn't get in that water, he's going to rear back and just kick her right square in the ass and send her into that water. Also, it doesn't help to tell somebody a story of a kid that drowned right before you toss them into a lake <laughs> with no instructions. He's not like kick your legs, move your arms. This is how you breathe out of the side of your mouth. He's just like swam, swam. <laughs> That, I taught my kid how to ride a bike. I didn't sit on the side of, of the sidewalk going, Ride! Paddle! <laughs> just, show, just, show him, just show him down the steepest hill in your neighborhood. You can Balance, do it. motherfucker! You're gonna die! You can do just it. like that other kid. You can do it, kid! Steer! Steer! <laughs> I mean, I just appreciate what this means for Charles's character, that he's just always been inherently bad at things. And his idea, nine times out of ten, or ten times out of ten in this case, is just always the wrong one. And I, I, I don't understand. Like, if I'm terrified of water, I don't want to hear about someone dying i mean i learned how to ride a bike and i fell off my bike and then i saw a chicken leg on the floor and i thought my bone had fallen out of my leg (laughs) 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 which long story short i can't ride bikes so i don't think this is the best best method to go about it but charles is not the best method to go about for anything how did he end up being in custody of this child i mean he couldn't possibly have been the, the most suitable parental figure in her life he's, he's her uncle right I, I i can only imagine that all that the deaths of her parents happened at a family reunion <laughs> and, where everyone else was poisoned a, but her this, and charles this is like fireball just like you know, tears through the house at a family reunion is taking place and everybody's go- taken out except them because can you, mean, can you imagine like when you i mean when you have a child generally speaking you hope to god this never happens but there you do have people in mind that if something should happen to you and the child's other parent yeah i think this person would be you know, I, I would be all right with them you know, raising my child to adulthood I, I can't imagine anybody would have looked at Charles and said, yeah, he's up to the task. <laughs> this, it's probably this, this, I just feel like it's probably the same person who said he was good enough to be like in charge of children for a career. 
Yeah. Well, right. made, I mean, there are made some, an there, assumption. There are definitely some principles that 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 you know chose poorly in their in their profession, <laughs> let's say. But I mean, to actually parent a child, I can't imagine anybody looking at him and saying, "Yeah, the the incompetent sociopath should be <laughs> left entirely alone," because there does not seem to be an ant in this situation. It's just the two of them. Yeah, which, no, he's a dedicated know, bachelor, that Charles. Which, 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 you know, also puts a a creepy you know, tone on the whole thing that that we won't get into. But, but, you know, I, I can't imagine anybody with any sort of authority or knowledge of childcare would say, yeah, this this, this guy's the one. He, he can, you know, he'll do a good job. I mean, not since uh, a screenwriter typed. Uh, Martha, why did you say that name? Why did you say Martha? Has a screenwriter thought, I've just sewn up this entire screen. I've explained it all. This is perfect. I'm going to have her thrown off the side of a boat for the second time because I'm going to set it up. And that she also gets thrown off the boat, the cruise ship, earlier in, in this whole thing and sees Ghost Jason at the bottom of it. Now I'm going to explain everything. She can't swim, and the ghost of Jason but pulls her down. But he's not a ghost, though. I don't think that he is. I think he's just kind of existing down there, like Swamp Thing. <laughs> but but here, this is a crazy thing. This is, I mean, why are we looking for logic in this stupid movie? <laughs> but let's try for a second here. The whole point of this dumb ass franchise is that Jason didn't die. He he crawled out of the bottom of the lake and was raised by raccoons next to the only working toilet within a 50-mile radius <laughs> and somehow became a backwoods ninja that starts killing people. He then dies by machete from Corey Feldman. He's buried we have a dream of two guys trying to dig him up and fuck his corpse in part five, but that's a dream. <laughs> then in part six, he's dug up by a different person playing the same character. He's struck by God lightning, and that's how he raises from the dead. He has not been sitting on the bottom of this lake, but that is the story that Charles says. And then she's like, no, Rennie, Rennie's like, no, he's not. You're lying. He's not on the bottom of this lake. How does she know? Does she know? Who knows anything? I don't know the truth anymore! <laughs> well, yeah, and it's definitely one of those things where something in the last couple of movies that has particularly nagged at me is everybody treating it like, well, we don't really know if this happened. It's just something parents tell their kids to you know, make sure they behave. No, it really happened. And it's not like it's something that happened years ago. You know, All these movies only take place like a year or two apart from each other. I think that the longest gap of time between events is what took place in part five and what, no, what, what, take, what took place in part four to what took place in part five. But yeah. everything, I mean, this is all within the same time period. And then everybody who presumably lives in the Crystal Lake area is also like, well, it's, you know, it's just a legend. We don't really know. I mean, that's just something our parents told us. Your parents told you. You were there when it happened. You were alive when this took place. And, and you know, and now, again, they're treating this like some sort of folk tale. You know, it's like, oh, you're making that up. He's not at the bottom of the lake. It's like, you know, well, well, you know, he was at one point, you know. But, you know, and the way the movie is, the way this scene is shot, no, he's really there. You know, he's just this, this you know, 
rotting child that's at the bottom of this lake, you know, grabbing onto this little girl. Because apparently nobody else has ever used this lake, which is inherently, which is patently false, as we've seen in the past, you know, seven movies that took place, you know, so far. People use this lake all the time. They can't stay away from this place. Even after 80 people have been murdered. You know, they just, it's the only place you can go camping in southern New Jersey. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Jason literally grabs her ankle she holds her down unless that's in her mind but that would mean that's the unexplainable thing did she conjure this is this really happening and then then what's more confusing is the ghost child jason who appears to her seems to be imploring her to help him in some way which which also doesn't make sense and and again you know we'll get to the ending of the next episode is the the way that plays out really doesn't make any sense no. it, it puts some sort of you know you have to free him and it's like <laughs> what you have to free him you know and it's like and then again this is a much like what happens in 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 um part nine god love it it seems to be suggesting a canon that that or that's never been established before that he's this like lost anguished spirit trapped in this (laughs) this this like relentless killing machine and it just goes nowhere and makes no sense and is so fucking stupid it's all over explaining it and we get another version of ghost jason here who looks a little bit like Scrooge or Argus Finch <laughs> in the Harry Potter series. I just love all the looks that Jason can rock when he's a ghost. He can be a child. He can be a slightly deformed child. He can be Finch. It's just like whatever he feels to be in the mood of today. Cause I don't, I don't know how, why I have a lot of questions. I'm more so confused as to how Jason and Rennie seems to be around the same age when she's getting dragged down, but in the present time, he's like a large 40-year-old or however old man, and she's like 17. I don't understand what's happening, but, you know, it's it's I've just come used to that on Friday the 13th at this point. And it also doesn't make any sense, like, why he picks this particular time to... to I mean, has she been haunted with these visions before or is this like first time stepping on the boat i mean is she supposed to be for lack of a better word triggered in some way and and that she suddenly starts having these you know because surely this is not the first time that she's been near water since 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 uh (laughs) since i mean i don't know why being on a boat particularly you're not very likely to fall off of a cruise ship i mean i know it does happen from time to time but usually it's because you're being helped along by someone um but I mean, this, this she, if she grew up in the Crystal Lake area, this is not being near water should be an everyday experience. So I'm not sure why why you you and also an ocean is not a lake. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's common for a person to be afraid of water to be afraid of every sort of body of water. But it's all very convenient and you works out in a way that they don't even bother trying to make sense with to a point that it actually becomes a little infuriating. Yeah. And she de- she tells nobody about this this flashback that she has. She doesn't really communicate it to anybody. Oh, it's just so dumb. It's the dumbest fucking movie. And it's it's incompetent in a different way than part 5 because part 5 is both incompetent and sleazy and doesn't care. I think this movie cares intensely. It's just confused like it has a head injury. 
and then it's trying to put together a puzzle that it can't like it's seeing double vision it can't figure anything out oh god it's, it's just a wild ride that just ends up I have more questions than I have answers and I know that the flashback was supposed to answer and tie up some ends and I'm more confused it actually than I was. made it worse yeah it actually <laughs> made it worse so this really should be called Friday the 13th part 8 oh come on <laughs> I mean it's not that they've run out of ideas they've just run out of good ideas they have plenty of shitty ideas, and yeah, I guess they figured that the audience. I guess the audience figured, you know, well, no one's going to buy that these, these people are going to come back to this campsite again, and and, and indeed, I, I do think, other than the remake, this this is the last time that anybody is actually at any point at the campsite. Um, I, I don't really, I have to rewatch part eight or part nine, which I am desperately looking forward to. Um, and I'm not even joking about that. I cannot wait. Uh, I think maybe it starts at Crystal Lake, but it doesn't really, ultimately does not end up there. And I guess they figure, well, we have to try some new bullshit. Let's do this. You know? <laughs> and, and, and oh, it is bullshit. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so before we get any farther... Uh, it's quiz time, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's choose your own death venture. Uh, if you had to choose a way to die uh, from one of the ones that are portrayed in this particular section of the movie, which one would it be and why? Uh, up for bid today are have your head punched clean off and dumped into a dumpster, later propped up in a police car. Or you could disappear into a Vancouver alleyway and never return. Let's, let's say could, let, let's say turn into bitten and turn into a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> you become vampire, or you blow up in the back of a wrecked police car. And Kaya, as our esteemed guest, we turn to you first for your answer. I would prefer to have my head punched off because. At least I can go out saying I punched Jason. And then, you know, it's nice to reuse and recycle. So it's nice to know that my head will later be used to decorate a car and live on that way. You're recycling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you get to wear a great tracksuit. Exactly. And we don't, we don't know if that tracksuit tears away. That we, we could only suppose that it's like basketball pants. <laughs> but I want to think that they are. I want to think that. I like to think he was buried in his tracksuit. <laughs> That's the problem. Now, there, we used to be able to reference the wikia for lots of weird invented backstories for each of the characters. Like, they would always, uh, Gina would always find these wikia entries where uh, couples were always buried with one another. Like, they were just fucking. They're not, they're not <laughs> yeah, buried with it, like, each other. It's disappointing because, like, after, like, part four, they kind of gave up on, like, <laughs> was, like, maintaining this. For, you know, kind of gave up on giving the characters, like, giving their parents names, even though their parents never showed up on camera, like, or were even referenced to, or, you know, mentioning, uh, you know, like, like Patrick said, a lot of them, you know, were buried together, even though they'd, like, had been dating, like, a week or so, and, but yeah, this is just, you don't get that, you don't get that backstory for these characters anymore, but yeah, I mean, he was certainly buried in his tracks, and probably with a pair of boxing gloves, too. Aww. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Day, Julius. We loved you. Um, <laughs> all right, Gina, what say you? I don't even know why this is a contest. It's, it's got to be Julius. I mean, Julius is the only death in this entire movie that, that really matters and is worth watching. 
Uh, I, I, I actually, I had a, I think I mentioned when we did the first episode about this, I first watched this movie drunk at a party with other drunk people and just the, the, the gleeful cheering and, and laughter at this scene. I will never forget it. It is a warm, sentimental moment in my heart. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, three for three. There's no way you can say that you want to do anything other than have your head uh, punched clean off <laughs> and then get two points in a trash dumpster. Come on, man. I think they should have just, I think it would have been great if they'd like, if it'd like there'd be like a buzzing sound somewhere <laughs> with a trash can. And someone yelling, like, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> From downtown. <laughs> Vancouver, that is. <laughs> I just like that he died as a jock with his head making a two-point score in the garbage bin. On <laughs> brand. <laughs> All right. Well, Kaya, where can people uh, hear and see more from you on these the glorious interwebs? Well, if they want to see our How to Kill series that we're doing on my um, my job's YouTube channel, Now This Nerd, you can check us out on YouTube for Now This Nerd or also on Facebook at Now This Nerd, which plays on the... Now this entertainment channel on Facebook. Um, but yeah, we're doing, we have a lot of series. I also do another series where I talk about um, superhero costumes called Yellow Spandex. Um, so most of my life is either how to kill things or what people are wearing. There's no in between. I'm, I'm here for it. You should, <laughs> I am subscribed. You should subscribe. Great stuff. Uh, Gina, uh, 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 where can people find you on the internet? I write about 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. I am in the middle of Christmas specials. Um, By the time this goes live, I will have reviewed the Cabbage Patch Kids Christmas special, um, the Alf Christmas special, in which he visits a dying child, um, and the uh, the long forgotten 1986 movie Babes in Toyland, starring a very young Drew Barrymore and a very young, uh, slightly charismatic but not quite there yet Keanu Reeves. So uh, watch out for that. <laughs> Keanu Reeves, slightly charismatic. Here to her first. Uh, that will do it. Uh, thanks, everybody. You want to reach out to us and tell us what you think of Friday the 13th Part 8? Uh, there's a couple easy ways to do it. Uh, reach out on Twitter at KillByKillPod. Uh, you got something longer than 280 characters to say about it? Uh, email us, KillByKillPod at gmail.com, at KillByKillPodcast on Instagram. And uh, that will do it. Thank you ever so much, everyone who has rated and reviewed us on iTunes. If you would like to do so, uh, we greatly encourage it. It helps us be seen and heard by more people. Uh, Make sure to put in your favorite kill from the Friday the 13th series or any of the films that we have covered. And we will read it here on the air. That's our solemn promise to you, the Kill by Kill listener. And so don't fret, my friends. The body count will continue next time. So for myself and Gina and Kaya, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. 
Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.